We've been in Philippians. Have you ever met, well, not met, have you ever been around that person who is just fallen in love? That person that it's like when it's happening, you're like, oh, that's great and it's awesome, but then it also comes to the point where you're like, would you shut it? <laughs> like everything you try and talk about and every time you're around them, they cannot help but talk about the person whom they've fallen in love with. It's like you try and text them and say, oh man, the Bucks pulled it out last night. They got the win, woohoo!" And they text back and they're like, I know, me and Stacy were watching together and we were high-fiving each other. And then even though we were sitting right next to each other, we started texting each other emojis. And then she sent me that gif of the guy eating popcorn in the nail biter because it was like overtime. And then we were just laughing together and she is so hilarious. And man, it was great. We had an awesome time together. And then after we left, she went home and I was here and then we called each other and talked about it all the way home and we were just loving it and relishing it together as two people who just love the bucks and I love how she loves the bucks and then when she got home and she was ready to get off the phone and I was done and then she was like you hang up and I was like no you hang up and she was like no you hang up and I know you hang up and you're like so there's another series after this one but I'm glad you're excited about Stacy. <laughs> Someone who is in love can't help but talk about that other person. And, um, you know, my, my nanny, my grandmother, just passed away a few weeks ago, and it was an awesome time to go be with family and to celebrate her life of faithful service to the Lord. What an incredible woman of God my grandmother uh, is and was and is in heaven now. And her husband, my papa, passed away last year in January. He saw 2020 coming and was like, I'm out. <laughs> and uh, uh, so my papa, you could not talk to my papa for more than two minutes. It was almost like he had a timer in his pocket. You couldn't talk to him for more than two minutes without him turning the conversation back to Jesus. You couldn't do it. You could be trying to talk to him about your favorite football team and how incredible your favorite player is. And you'd be like, man, how incredible that God would gift that person with those abilities to do those things. And you're like, yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, this food, Nanny Maris, you're the best cook in the world. And, he, and Papa would be like, I'm so thankful that the Lord blessed Nanny with these abilities to cook. And the way that this food tastes just makes me just think about his goodness. Like, you could not talk to my Papa without him turning the conversation to Jesus. And then, I guess you can blame him because he'd be crying within a minute after that. <laughs> so it's his fault. My dad does the same thing, so I guess it's in the genes. But uh, when someone has had a vision of Jesus Christ to where he has captivated their heart, you just can't help but keep going there. We're in the book of Philippians. Paul has written this letter to this church, and we can see as we look back throughout this letter to the Philippian church that Paul continues to anchor every single point, every single argument, every single call and challenge back to a captivated view of Christ. Remember, this, this letter 40 times mentions Jesus or Christ or Jesus Christ or the Lord. Jesus is pointed to 40 times in this little letter. He says, and I'm going to recap this again, but he says, yeah, I'm in prison, but now all the guards are hearing about Christ. 
Yeah, folks are preaching Christ with wrong motives, but they're preaching Christ. He says, I really wanted to check out and go be with Christ, wanted to die, but for now I'll rejoice in the mission of Christ, that I'm here for you and helping you grow in Christ. And he's, he says, hey guys, let's, let's all fight to be unified together as a church family through humility because the Christ that unites us is greater than the things that would divide us. Oh, by the way, the way that we do that is by looking at Christ the most perfect, flawless example of humility, the humility that's necessary for us to walk in humility. He says, hey guys, check out Timothy. He's genuinely concerned about your welfare and the interests of Christ, unlike other people. When he's pointing at Timothy, he's really also pointing at Christ. He goes on to talk about Epaphroditus. He says, check out Epaphroditus, who nearly died for the work of Christ. And he says, I have counted all things, what we talked about last week in chapter 3, I have counted all things as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. He says, I've suffered the loss of all things that I might gain Christ. Forty times in this little letter, he talks about Jesus Christ. See, I don't think it's a coincidence at all that this epistle of joy, which it's so often called, this letter of joy that he wrote, which just continually talks about joy and, and calling the people to rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. And Paul talks about the ways that he is rejoicing in Christ. All these different accounts, despite his undesirable circumstances of being in prison, that this letter that's just flooded with joy is so unashamedly and unapologetically a declaration of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. There's no, there, there's no disconnect between the joy that Paul is living in and declaring and calling the people into and his view of Jesus Christ. The view of Jesus Christ that has arrested Paul's heart captivated his life to where this is why he is alive. This is why he's still breathing, the things that he's talking about, the things that he's calling the church into. All of it is because of the way that Paul has seen Jesus Christ. And like I said last week, I always want to caution us and charge us not to be like, whoa, man, he said to live as Christ and to die as gain, that he'd rather die and go be with Jesus? Whoa, man, how do you get to that point? How could he say that? What a great man of faith was Paul, that he was willing to even put himself aside this way and that way. And man, that he kept pursuing as we read this letter. Our temptation a lot of times is to go, man, I, I want to be like Paul. And Paul would be saying, no, 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 no. You're missing the point of what I'm writing. It's not look at me, it's look at Jesus. And we shouldn't be going, man, I, I, how can I be more like Paul? It's, man, how can I see Jesus in a way that would transform me the way that he transformed Paul? Jesus, Paul is continually in this letter pointing to Jesus. After, in the, after that one section in Philippians chapter 3 where he said, I've counted all things as rubbish, as garbage, as dog dung. He said, I've counted all things as rubbish that I might gain Christ. And then in verse 11, he said that by any means possible, as we're about to continue reading, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection 
from the dead. And that's where we're going to pick up today in verse 12. I know we read some of this last week, but I feel like we didn't get quite where we want to go. Philippians 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says this again, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward toward what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is trying to show the church that Jesus Christ is worthy of our undying pursuit. He's trying to show us that Jesus Christ is worthy of our undying, unwavering, unfaltering, unwaning out, our undying pursuit. See, first, being a follower of Jesus is not some passive, quesera, sarah, whatever will be, will be. It's not some, well, we'll see what kind of mood I'm in or we'll see what my schedule looks like and see if I can squeeze some in. We'll see what the weather's like. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is, I'm taking the eraser to the schedule and putting Christ in all of it and we'll see where other things might fit. And Christianity is going, ah, oh, we might have bad weather, but Jesus is Lord over the weather, so who cares? Christianity is Jesus first, Jesus central in all things to the degree that this guy who ends up writing what is two-thirds of our New Testament, this guy who just a couple of paragraphs ago goes through this laundry list of all of his religious accomplishments and achievements and all the things that he could hang his hat on and says, all those things I count as lost. The guy who could have, if anybody could have sat back and said, yeah, I'm doing pretty good, says, I forget those things which are behind. And I'm straining forward. I'm pressing on towards the goal, the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In this passage, he uses these statements like, but I press, I press. Not I just casually walk. <laughs> I press on. I press on to make it my own straining forward, he says, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize. What, what is he showing us here? The guy who had achieved so much and could sit back and go, you know what? I, I'm doing pretty good. I am giving all of my energy, all of my strength, all of my passion into straining towards Jesus Christ. And secondly, does it sound at all like Paul is duty-bound in his endeavors? Like, like, does it sound like he's doing this out of duty or out of obligation? When he's using things like, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's the motive he says there. He says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own, that there is showing that he has received this thing in Christ that motivates him to press. 
It's not that he's trying to get Christ to the degree where he's working to get him, but realizing that Jesus Christ is going, Paul, you're mine. And got that claim that Christ put on Paul motivates him to go, yeah, amen, and I'm pressing on to make it my own too. I'm pressing on to make Jesus Christ my own as well. Because he's made me his own, I'm pressing on to make it my own. I'm straining forward for this. He uses words like, I press on towards the goal, and here we go, the prize. The prize. Last, last week, or not last week, actually, I think it was like two days ago, I was watching the U.S. Open, and when, uh, when the coverage of the U.S. Open went off, by default after that came on the qualifiers for swimming in the Olympics. And uh, I wasn't planning on watching it, but it came on, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I saw these people swimming and uh, trying as hard as they can to make it onto the Olympic team, which is the height of achievement and success for people in those fields and in those areas of life. And you see people who have disciplined themselves, not just because swimming's what you do, but they're straining forwards towards a goal, towards a prize, towards the opportunity to maybe stand on that podium and to maybe hold those flowers and to maybe have that medal donned around their neck and to maybe hear their national anthem played in front of the entire world as they represent their world. Their whole life, in order to get to that point, they live their whole lives different than you and I do. They eat things and, and withhold, with, abstain from eating things differently than we do because the goal that they're straining towards. Swimmers shave their whole body. I don't do that. Don't plan on ever doing that. Don't have a reason to. They have a reason to. They do anything and everything they can to trim off that split second in hopes that they can touch a wall before someone else. They have disciplined themselves. They work out. They exercise. They have very disciplined training regimens and sleep habits. All the things that they go through for that moment to try and get that prize. There's a passage where Paul in another place in Scripture talks about, and they do this for a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. And if these guys can live that way, just so they can wear some thread around their neck with a piece of metal hanging from it, hold some flowers that are here today and wither tomorrow, hear a song in that moment and cry some tears in that moment, which is an incredible, wonderful, inspiring thing. But if they're willing to do that for that, how much more when we have the eternal, preeminent, preexistent King of glory, Jesus Christ, ahead of us, are we not discipline ourselves and press on and strain forward, diligently working, putting all of our energy, all of our effort into that goal? Amen? Recognizing that there is no pursuit in this life, there's no goal, no achievement, no accomplishment that is worth more than that effort. There are lots of noble and worthy efforts in our life. There are a lot of noble and worthy things to give energy and effort to, but there is nothing worth more. And like the Olympic athlete, hopefully we can let that prize that we look forward to, which is what Paul's saying here. He said, forgetting those things which are behind, pressing on towards the goal, the prize 
of the upward call of God in Christ. Let Jesus Christ be our vision that causes us, like the Olympian, to go, actually, I know this stuff's okay for everyone else, but I have a goal in mind that makes that stuff not okay for me. And, and sure, sure, everyone else might be able to eat that way, sleep that way, you know, do their schedule a certain way, but if I'm going towards that goal, it's gonna affect every single day of my life. Now, as Paul talks about straining towards these goals and working hard, remember he says, I have not yet attained it. This, I have not been made perfect in, in uh, verse 12. He said, not that I have already obtained this or am perfect, but I press on. As we go and look now in verse 15, he says this, let those of us who are mature think this way. Remember, this, this is coming right after he says, I'm forgetting everything which is behind. And I'm pressing on. Remember, this is the guy, the one guy who could probably go, I'm good now. I'm going to kick up my feet, probably play golf every morning, maybe go collect seashells, you know, maybe go enjoy. Not that those are bad or wrong at all. They are good and gracious gifts from God unto the glory of God when kept in their right place. But remember, he wrote this letter towards the end of his life in prison. He knows he's close to death. The Lord, the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. We can read that in the end of Acts, that at this point in his life, he knows he is close to death. He knows he's almost done. And he's still saying, I'm pressing hard. I'm straining forward. I'm forgetting what lies behind. And I'm pressing on towards what lies ahead. And in verse 15, let those of us who are mature, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. That, that word there, mature, is, uh, it comes from the Greek word tele, uh, teleios. teleios. Um, it's the same root word, teleoi, that is used earlier where he says, I'm not yet perfect. So when he says, I'm not yet perfect or fully perfected and mature in Christ, but I'm straining forward. Later in the same passage, he says, those of us who are mature. He says, I'm not yet there. And those of us who think we're there ought to think this way. He says, if you think you're mature in Christ, then it ought to look a lot like not feeling like you're mature in Christ. That I, I remember growing up all, all the time, I used to hear my dad say, um, the, the more I know, the more I realize I don't know. And it's crazy. I'm, I'm, I'm a dad now, and it's crazy as I'm a dad and as I get older and grow. And it's crazy how much my dad uh, gets smarter. Like all the things that, that when I was growing up, I was like, you're dumb. You don't know. And now it's like, oh, he's really smart, actually. The more that you know, the more you realize you don't know. See, people who are closer to Christ are the ones who actually look like they're trying harder to get close to Christ. I'm going to say that one more time. People who are closer to Christ are the ones who actually look like they're trying harder to get close to Christ. It's, it's like no one ever tastes of Jesus and goes, that was wonderful, I'm good. 
If you taste Jesus, you want more of Jesus. Like none of us have ever had a five-star, world-class, fine steak and got, oh man, that was incredible. That was delicious, just mouth-watering, just melt in your mouth, just tender, juicy, perfectly flavored, perfectly cooked, just, oh, it was wonderful. I can't wait to eat fast food again. <laughs> Doesn't happen. And so, if our faith in Christ has not motivated us to go, man, I want more of that, then there's a chance that maybe you've just been hearing about him and have ideas about him, and you haven't actually tasted that the Lord is good. Again, you're probably going to get tired of me saying this, and I hope that, that this becomes thematic in our church and true of us, but if you haven't seen that Jesus is the treasure in the field in Matthew 13, if you haven't seen that he is the pearl of great price that's worth selling all to gain, where the man who found the treasure in the field goes, for joy over what I've found, I'm going to leave it here, go sell everything I have so I can get the field and have that treasure. I found a pearl so wonderful, so beautiful that it's worth me selling everything so that I can have that pearl. If you haven't seen Jesus that way to where he captivates your heart the way that he captivated Paul's, if you haven't done that, I would encourage you and implore you and beg you to get on your knees and cry out to God. To go into your room by yourself and say, God, I can see in scripture, I can see in Paul's life, I can see in the life of other believers that there is a Jesus who is worth seeing and beholding and tasting to a degree where it makes me not care about all this other stuff and I'm willing to let go of it. And right now I'm not there and I wanna be. I see it in other people's lives and I see what it looks like. I want it, Jesus, please. Holy Spirit, please open my eyes. God, let me see Jesus for the most beautiful treasure that I see in Scripture you are. I want to see it. I want to know it. I want to believe it but so that I can walk the same way Paul did and go, man, that stuff's garbage. It's rubbish. I don't care anymore if I lose it to gain Christ. I can sit up here every Sunday and tell you that Jesus is the treasure, but if you don't taste it and if you don't see it for yourself, your whole life of Christianity is going to be a burden of you trying to obey, trying to follow, trying to serve without having the fuel in your heart to do it. The fuel being the love and the passion for Jesus. And our default, our default is to work to gain. And when we mess up, we let condemnation come and push us away from God rather than conviction of the Holy Spirit saying, no, 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 no. Come back to me. I'm the one who forgives. I'm the one who cleanses. I'm the one inviting you back in. See, the more you grow in your knowledge of God, the more you realize how far you are from God's knowledge. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul said, we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. We now see in a mirror dimly, we'll see then face to face. He's basically saying, right now we get a little bit of the picture. The more you grow in your knowledge of God, the more you realize, man, there's a whole lot more knowledge of God than I, that I don't know, I don't got. That's the maturity, that's growing. It's not 
oh man, I'm learning it and I'm really figuring some stuff out. I really know a lot about the Lord. It's man, man, I have seen one more little sliver of this manifold wisdom, wisdom of God, the infinite God of the universe, the one whose Psalms declares, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. And God let me see a little bit more of him and I want more. And I recognize as I see him more and more and more that there's so much more that I haven't seen. It's like looking in a telescope into the universe and going, wow, look at those stars. Look at those planets. Look at that galaxy. If you have a big enough, strong enough uh, a telescope, and then you realize, oh, but the universe is so much more. There's more galaxies. It's bigger. It's more vast. And it's like the more we get into scripture and the more we pray, the more we get to know God. It's like taking that telescope and going, oh, wow, I, I haven't seen that yet. Oh, God, I haven't realized that about you yet. Whoa. It's not, oh, another star. Oh, another, oh, another galaxy. Big deal. No. If you're bored with God, pursue him, seek him, ask him to reveal himself. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, Scripture teaches us. See, the more you grow in holiness, living holy, the more you begin to see how far you are from God's holiness. The more you grow in setting sin aside, the more you start to realize, man, I've still got a long way to go. Getting closer to Jesus doesn't actually look like trying less, but it actually looks like pressing forward. This is why growing and maturing in your faith doesn't actually lead to less repentance, but more repentance. See, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you get close to him, it's like that athlete who goes, man, if I want to get further in this, if I want to shave some time off, I've got to make, I've got to cut some more things out. The sugar, the Skittles I used to love, I'm going to have to cut those out if I want to shave off a little time. And the closer you get to Jesus, the more you realize, oh man, the Lord is showing me there's some things in my life that I need to let go of. This is Hebrews 12 where it says where we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, talking about all the Old Testament heroes of the faith. The author of Hebrews says, because we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us set aside every sin and every weight that slows us down or besets us. That the closer you get to Jesus, the more you've tasted him, the more you, you press towards him, the more and more God is just showing you, I mean, I've got this stuff in my pockets that's slowing me down. I need to get that out too. And man, there's some other things back here that I realized, yeah, that stuff was obvious. But man, the closer I get to him, the more I see this area needs work. And the more I get close to him over here, the more I see this area needs work. And the more I get closer to Jesus Christ, he prunes this is John chapter 15 where it says, those who abide in me will bear fruit. And then he goes on to say, and they'll be pruned. Or you prune those branches, cut off the dead parts so that you can continue to bear more fruit. And he says, these are my disciples, those who abide in me and bear much fruit. And even when you bear much fruit, when you've gotten closer to Jesus to where it starts to show in your life, I'm gonna trim you and prune you, and cut even more off. But oh, if we have the vision like Paul, where we read last week, where he goes, all oh, those things are rubbish. You say, yes, Lord, prune me. Because you know it's an invitation. That pruning shear of the Holy Spirit is an invitation to take a step closer. 
and take another step closer. Prune this off of me, Lord, so I can come a little closer. God, open my eyes to something else so I can know you a little more, so I can keep on tasting that eternally fine steak, so I can keep on knowing the Lord more and more. Amen? He says all this, and he says, if you really are mature, you realize that you're not all that mature the more you grow. And then he goes on to say, oh, and, and if you don't get this, if in anything else you think otherwise, he says, if you don't get this, it's all right. God will show you. He says, if you think you're super mature and grown and you're not hearing me, God will show you. Let's continue reading. Oh, oh one more thing right there in that verse. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. In verse 16, he says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. And I just want to say, growing in Jesus Christ, growing in God, doesn't look like truth changing. It doesn't look like I learned this truth, and now this truth is obsolete. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever is what Hebrews 13, 8 says. Uh, scripture teaches us over and over, I am the Lord God, I change not. The grass withers, but the flower fades. The word of the Lord will stand forever. Uh, and so, so much of Scripture teaches us about the immutability of God, meaning he does not change. And therefore, as we grow closer to him, it's not that things that we understand or know change as much as we get more and more knowledge. That's why he says, um, only let us hold true to what we have obtained. See, how many of us, when we, when we read and learn and have knowledge of God, and especially as it pertains to our lives, how many of us can learn things like this where Paul's saying, I press on and I, I let go of all the things that are slowing me down or uh, all those things that were so valuable to me, I count as loss. Or if we even rewind a little further and talk about how he calls us to uh, live a life worthy of the gospel. How many of us in here can say, yeah, everything that I know that God has called me to do and the way that he's called me to live, nailing it. I don't see any hands. Me either. See, we're really good at learning and knowing, not nearly as good as walking out. And he's saying, as you continue to grow, make sure that you're walking out what you have already learned, that we stay true to what we have already learned. It's not new things so that I can neglect other things as we keep on walking in light of. We hold true to what we have attained. He said, I haven't attained that yet. But what I have attained, what we have attained, he says, let's hold true to that. Verse 17, as we continue reading, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So he goes here from saying, hey, if you think you're mature, recognize 
that you've got a lot of room to grow in. You've got a lot to keep pressing on in. And as beyond that, join in imitating me. And I love how he says this. Keep your eyes on those who walk. Listen, there's a lot of people who know but don't walk. What is the infamous saying? Those who can't do, teach. That there's a lot of people who have gained a lot of knowledge of God. You can get into academia and, and into theology and realize that there's a lot of people who are experts, quote unquote, of God and have all sorts of knowledge of God, don't really know God in a way that it has sunken down and changed their heart and, and to where that it, it lives out in their, that it's lived out in their lives. And so he's saying, guys, listen, be imitators of me and those whom walk this stuff out. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And he goes on, for many whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So really, we want to ask ourselves, ask yourself, who am I emulating? I'll say that again. Ask yourself, who am I emulating? Because I think a lot of times we have people in our life that we respect, that we admire, that we look up to for whatever reason. And by, by our own nature, we tend to emulate those people. In all sorts of ways, you can look at them and go, start trying to dress the way they dress, start trying to act the way they act, do the things they do, participate in the things they participate in, talk the way they talk. When there's people that you are impressed by or inspired by, you begin to want to be like them and emulate them. And so ask yourself, who am I emulating? Who am I following? Sometimes we're not even paying attention to who inspires us or what they are inspiring us to do. And we really need to evaluate, do, do the people that inspire me, the people that I'm emulating or following, are they worthy of emulating? Do they walk this way? Do they walk as those who are pursuing Christ? Paul doesn't say, follow me. He doesn't say, imitate me until he has given the example of losing everything for Christ and giving all of his energy to press towards Christ. So he says, I'm willing to give up everything for Christ. I'm pressing in that I might gain Christ. And after he paints that picture, then he says, now follow me, imitate me and others who walk that same way. Ask yourself, this person that I look up to, should I actually look up to them? If so, why? We can gain a lot of, a lot of knowledge when we're honest with ourselves in the mirror asking hard questions. Why do I look up to this person? Should I actually emulate them? If so, why? Do they model godliness and holiness? Do they model faithfulness and a passionate devotion to Christ? Look at people in your life that God has shown you those things in and try to get closer to them. And I think that's the call for all of us is to try and find people. Today is Father's Day. And you know, the, the older I get, the, the more I realize Man, I, I do so many things because I am my father's son. So many things. When The way that I treat my daughters and discipline them, the way that I interact with other people, the way I tell corny, cheesy jokes. I'm like, Dad. <laughs> because I looked at him for so long in my life. I spent so much time with him. No one ever told me, hey, 
Try to talk like your dad. Try to act like your dad. It happened because I was close to him and following him for so many years. You ever meet that person that you're hanging out with them, you get to know them, and then you meet their parents and you hear them talking, you're like, whoa, like, whoa, carbon copy, splitting image, like, wow. Yeah, because they've spent a lot of time with them. I had a best friend back in Arkansas when I was growing up that he and I spent so much time together. I remember my youth pastor saying, man, talking to you two is like talking to the same person. Neither of us were trying to be like each other, but we spent so much time together and enjoyed our friendship so much that we started picking up each other's traits. Listen, what we need to do is step back and go, man, God, who in my life, who have you shown me, who have you put in my life that I have access to that looks like you? that's passionate about you, that wants to know you, love you, serve you. And God, give me opportunity to get closer to them, to spend more time with people like that so that I can benefit from being close and let that encourage me to emulate and model faithful serving to Jesus Christ. Amen? Fathers, this is one of our biggest responsibilities on Father's Day is to model to our children and to others someone worthy of following. We're all going to miss the mark. We're all going to stumble in this. We're all going to fall short in the perfect model of the Father. And listen, if you're here today on Father's Day and you struggle with the idea of God the Father because you had a bad father, listen, every single picture of God in Scripture, He is the perfect manifestation of those pictures. And if you had a bad manifestation of a father in your life, don't hold God to the standard that your father set. If you had a flawed relationship or a flawed picture of something like this that Scripture teaches you about God, don't take the flawed picture that you experienced and superimpose it on God. He is the perfect and flawless picture of all these things. None of you, I I, I wouldn't be like, so I'm from the South, so I love some good barbecue, okay? Now, I've had good barbecue. I love it. And I live in Wisconsin now where good barbecue is a little more rare. Just being honest, don't throw tomatoes. There's, it's here. There's good barbecue, but it's more rare than in the South. If I have bad barbecue, I don't go, oh, ah, barbecue. No, that stuff's not good. I'm done with barbecue. No, I recognize that's a flawed picture of barbecue. I want to get back to some good barbecue. <laughs> Day one, I'm not saying I want to move back to the South. Not what I'm saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's hot down there. It's <laughs> oh, man. I'm just saying, don't let flawed pictures skew your picture of the good and perfect and holy and just and righteous and wonderful and beautiful and loving Father. Amen? Where was I? Paul goes on. He goes out of this call to imitate himself as he points to Christ. And that, uh, that really ought to be the standard for all of us. Let's emulate other believers as much as they're pointing to Christ into the fact that there are people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. He says their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame. Their end is their destruction, meaning if they don't come to faith in Christ, their end is destruction. He says their God is their belly, meaning they live their life in a way where their God, what rules them, what dictates their schedule, the things that they do, the things they prioritize is their fleshly desires. And he's saying, this is after he talks about uh, emulating me. He's saying, these people are the ones we want to not emulate. He goes on to say, their glory is their shame. Have you ever seen someone do something 
and they, they do this incredibly dumb or stupid feat, and they're like super proud of it, and you're like, bro, you should not be proud of that. Like you see someone just glorying in their shame. They're doing something really dumb and they're so proud of it. And you're just going, man, it's almost like that person who's in college and comes back home and they're like hanging out with all the high schoolers, trying to be all cool with high schoolers. And the high schoolers are going, bro, we're embarrassed for you. Like you don't belong here. You, you're, you're above this now. Like I'm embarrassed for you how cool you're trying to be with these high schoolers. It's like their glory is their shame and so these are people who are glorying in things that, that they ought to be ashamed of. And Paul is saying, imitate me. Imitate others who walk in a way that's worthy of the gospel. He says, their minds are set on earthly things. Their God is their belly. Their mind is set on earthly things. And then what does he say? But our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Listen, our bottom line this week, as citizens of heaven, we ought to look different. We ought to look different than this. When we look at those whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, who glory in their shame, whose mind is set on earthly things, but we, us, who follow Jesus, our citizenship is in heaven, which means we're not trying to look like Rome, Philippi, this Roman colony in Macedonia. We're not trying to look like Rome and do their things their way. We're not trying to look like Greece. We're not trying to look like Orthodox Jews. We're trying to look like Jesus lovers. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's like we're at the embassy in another country. We're there for whatever purpose, for whatever reason, we are ambassadors on this earth. And whenever our country has an ambassador in another country, they don't go there to be those people. They go there as ambassadors to represent the country they came from. And that's us in this world as citizens of heaven. We are here to represent Jesus Christ, to show forth the citizenship of heaven and what it looks like to, the people, to be the people who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, who go, man, the Lord is so good that I don't want my belly to be my God. I want the Lord to be my God. I don't want a glory in my shame. I want a glory in Jesus Christ. I don't long for these earthly things. I don't set my mind on the things of earth. I continue to set my mind back on home. Like Colossians 1 says, setting our sights on the realities of heaven. The phrase, don't be so earthly minded or don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Uh-uh. You should be so heavenly minded that you are earthly good. Have your mind so bent on heaven that it makes you effective here as an ambassador, as a citizen of heaven that God has placed here for a purpose. You're here for a purpose. And we ought to look different. Lord, I pray that you would give us a vision of you, that you would help all of us to see Jesus in a way, to see you, Lord, in a way that you are the treasure that we long for. You are the goal we press on for. You are the prize that we strive forward for. 
God, I pray that you would become so beautiful, so wonderful, so valuable to all of us that we're willing to lose anything to gain you. And God, I pray that you would show us, like Paul is just teaching us, that if we're mature, if we're growing in Christ, we ought to see we have a lot more to press towards than to feel like we're just achieved or sit back comfortable. Show us that you are worthy of our undying, unending, never-ceasing pursuit. God, if there's anyone here or anyone online that has not seen Jesus as the treasure in the field, has not been saved by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit of God opening their eyes, God, I pray right now, I ask you to open eyes of people in this building, people online, wherever they may be, open their eyes to see their need for Christ and to see the beauty and value of Christ. That you would change hearts. God, if we get together and just do this church stuff, it's, it's, it's pointless. Lord, we want to see you change lives. Bring people back into your family. Holy Spirit, do the work that my, my words can't do, that I can't do, that none of us can do. God, we ask you to change hearts and lives to open eyes to see the beauty and the wonder of Jesus Christ in a way that changes us for the rest of our lives, that we could live as citizens of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.